I'd like to welcome you to church tonight if it's your first time. Just want to give you an extra warm welcome, let you know that we're so excited that you're here with us. During the course of the service, if you'd like to connect with us and maybe come back, and we would be so excited and uh, thrilled to have you back here. And look, we're just, we're just all just regular people here. We just call ourselves the children of God, and we're in God's living room, and we just want you to feel super welcome. So what I want to do tonight is I actually just want to walk down a little road. And I know that most people here are saved, but let's just pretend like not everyone is. When God created Adam, God gave Adam dominion. That's what he said, be blessed and have dominion. Remember, be fruitful and multiply, be blessed, have dominion. Remember that? He gave Adam rule and kingship over the earth. When Adam and Eve, I'm just going to fast track this a little bit. When Adam and Eve listened, or particularly Eve, then Adam ultimately agreed with it. And so he really will say Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve gave way to what the devil really in the form of the serpent tried to convince them that God wasn't actually as good as he was making out to be. When they agreed with him, they stepped down from that place of kingship and they actually gave their keys of dominion to the devil. Amen? Okay, so then God stepped into the garden and then God himself, the first prophetic word, aside from actual creation, first prophetic word, he starts saying that he speaks to the woman at Eve and he says, your seed shall crush his head. I'm going to send a redeemer. And then he says, uh, and, then, and then he spoke to the serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. That's a great exchange. Bruised heel for a crushed head. If you've ever been in MMA, or you like that kind of thing, that's a good deal. And what God was actually doing was, it wasn't, we have to understand what God was doing. God was looking to get his kids back. Ultimately, that's really, if you boil it all down, he wanted his children back. He wanted his friends back. It, it, a lot of people try and put it down to, well, it was the right thing to do. Well, that's actually a, a, a kind of a legalistic way of looking at God. God wasn't actually being legalistic. He was being loving. And then from that place of loving, he, was, he implemented justice. And the justice meant that there would be a personal cost. And so from there, history played out. We know that the children of Israel, they went, you know, they were, they were born from Abraham and then they went into slavery. And then they came out of slavery by the hand of Moses, who was empowered by God. And they came out through the desert. They came across the Jordan into Canaan and the 12 tribes grew. And they, they populated Israel, what we now to know the land of Israel. And from that place, the prophecies, there's a ton of prophecies about the coming of Jesus. From that place, I want to pick up. I just needed to do a little background. Is that cool? Because you see, God was after not just the restoration of man's relationship with his heart, getting his kids back. He was also after the giving back of power to man. You have to understand that God gave power to Adam and Eve, and then the devil tricked them from it and then owned it. Does this make sense? So then that's where we find Jesus prophesied about being born as a baby, coming on a mission. At 12, he knew that he was called to save the world. He, he, you remember that there was that time where they went, to, they went back to Jerusalem for the census, and then Mary and Joseph took off, and two days down the road, I mean, what kind of parenting is that? I'm not quite sure, but two days down the road, they're like, hey, where's baby Jesus, or little 12-year-old Jesus? 
and, and they have to backtrack and they go all the way back to Jerusalem and they find Jesus in the synagogue teaching the scribes and, and the, the teachers of the day. He was teaching the scholars of the day, hey, see, this is what it means in Isaiah, and he's just like blowing them out, and they're all tripping out on this 12-year-old kid. And mom and dad look at him, and they say, hey, what's going on? Like, you're, like, you're being a brat right now. You just, and he's like, no, you don't get it. I'm actually here on my father's business. So he wasn't here just on a mission to like be righteous. He was on here on a mission to fulfill the father's heart, which we see in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his best. He didn't give, and that's why with giving, we have a culture of giving here where it's like, look, you can give whatever you want to God, but if you want the best from God, probably be a good idea to give him your best because that's the language he speaks in. When God, gives, when God gives, he never gives like, you know, oh, here's just a little dollar here, get out of my way, stop annoying me. He's like, no, no, I want to give you everything because my wallet never ends. That's how God is, right? And so God has this amazing culture of giving, and he doesn't just give, he gives abundantly, generously, lavishly, and outlandishly. That's how God gives. And we need to do that because we've been trained by the world to live in poverty and lack. In church, that's how we've been taught, to live in lack. And God is not familiar with your culture. And he's inviting us to another one. That's why, and if you notice, I'm not trying to get anyone to give anything else. We've already taken up the offering. I'm just trying to get you a principle that we live by every day, not just on Sundays at the offering. So God gave his best, Jesus, to come and rescue us. And it's really from there that I want to pick up. God established a royal priesthood, or a Levitical priesthood rather, with uh, Moses, the time of Moses. He, the, the tribe of Levi was established as a tribe of priests. And they were the ones that actually were the priests in the temple. They were the ones from that tribe that was chosen a high priest. Now, in the day of Jesus, the high priest's name was a guy called Caiaphas. You guys remember the guy called Caiaphas? He was the high priest. He was the guy that was super ticked off that this nobody that came out of Bethlehem was actually taking his congregation away up into the mountains and feeding them filet of fish. He was upset about that, probably. There was a, well, the Bible says even in Matthew that, they, that the Pharisees envied him because he had all the people. So from there, I just want to talk about a couple of things real quick, and then we're going to go, we're going to go at a few things. Because tonight is a night where you can have the opportunity to have freedom. Amen? This isn't just a night where we run around and say, oh, the Easter Bunny's come and let's have chocolate eggs. Like, that's just a load of chocolate in whatever form you want to imagine it. No, I'm serious. That stuff's just all pagan stuff. I mean, it's cute and everything. I'm not here to, like, say, you know, get all crazy. But what I am here to say is that Jesus is the reason for the Passover. Because the Passover itself was actually a prophetic act of the coming of the Son of God. Even down, I want, I want to just highlight this to you, something the Holy Spirit showed me. Is this Okay even down to the little details that you can go back to Genesis, sorry, Exodus, God specifically told Moses with the Passover, remember in Egypt when they were still slaves, God was going to bring in the angel of the Lord to come and kill all the firstborn in the land. Remember, it was the final, it was the final plague that broke the back of, of Pharaoh, giving up the slaves, which really were the children of God, right? What he told him is he said, kill a lamb, Get hyssop leaves, take the blood, sprinkle it over the door. That'll be the sign that the, that the covenant is inside this house. Okay? And then it went on a bunch of other things. And then it said, take the lamb and roast it over fire. Do not bake it and do not boil it. Can someone tell me where Jesus went when he died? He went to hell where there are flames. The prophetic detail that God described the coming of Jesus and the way he would play out Calvary 
is so perfectly articulated if you look for it that it's amazing. And I want to just talk about a few things here because we need to brag a little bit on Jesus tonight because if we can just grasp who he is on another level, it will cause us to actually yield a little more. Okay? So because of time, I don't have time to like race across and give you 50 scriptures, but if you really, if something really confuses you, you can come and see me afterwards. But I want to talk about a couple of things. We know that Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. The Bible calls him the Lion of Judah. Okay? His cousin, however, wasn't John. He wasn't from the tribe of Judah. Now, you can go and do your research, or I can show you at another time. I'm not going to go into it now because it's like a 20-minute thing to read out. But you can, now, if you remember, the first priest that was anointed was a guy called Aaron under Moses. Remember Aaron, the high priest? Aaron's lineage comes down to John the Baptist. Aaron, the high priest, the first high priest, his lineage, you know how it's like, and he begot him, and he begot him, and it's like 20 minutes of reading of everyone's father and son. Remember that? Aaron, the high priest, came down through a lineage, and we find John the Baptist. And what we see is we see who anointing Jesus and baptizing him at the river? John the Baptist. And that's when you have a moment, like that's why Jesus said, no, you must baptize me, because John's saying, hey, I, I don't even need to be doing this. I, I'm not even worthy to tie your shoelaces. And he's like, you must do this so that the prophecy may be fulfilled. And when John does that, he lays hands on him, and you actually have the lineage of a priesthood laying hands on the Son of God. You see God himself submitting to the, the priesthood, the lineage of priesthood that he established. This is the humility of God. That's something that every single one of us can take a, uh, take a chapter out of that book of God's life, Jesus' life. Because sometimes we're, so too, we're too cool for school and we know everything. And we become so puffed up with our knowledge that we forget that actually humility is the way that you go up. Humility is the way that you inherit the promise. So we see, we see Jesus submitting to John, his cousin, and he actually is ministered to by John. It's the only time you see Jesus being ministered to by a human in that context. Now, so we move on from there, and we go through the course of Jesus' life, and we know that after that time, uh, Jesus went up into... He was led by the Spirit up into the desert. He was tested there for 40 days by the enemy, by the devil. And he came out of that, that time, and that's the Bible said that's when he came out in Jude with power. He came out like just like a freight train full of the Holy Ghost, really himself. But he, it's like God the Father released another level on his life, and he just came out and it, like the time had come. Okay? And so from that time... He began preaching the gospel, which was the good news of the Father, salvation, right? And he began healing all that was sick and oppressed of the enemy everywhere he went. So much so that over three and a half years, he ticked everybody off in the religious establishment and they decided that they were going to crucify him. And that's where I want to fast forward to now. You can go to the Levitical law in the Old Testament that says that if a high priest's garment is torn, he is relieved of his duties. There was all the fabrics and the tassels have to be this long and every little thing down to what they ate and how they washed their hands had to be done so scrupulously that if anything was done wrong, they couldn't walk in their office. True? The high priest, one of his requirements was that his garment could have no tears in it. The night that Jesus was on trial, 
What does the Bible say that Caiaphas, the high priest, did? He tore his robe when Jesus said, I am who you say I am. In other words, the Son of God. He tore his robe, and I just want you to get this for a second. In that moment, what, what John the Baptist had laid hands on him on, not even realizing what he was doing, Caiaphas was dismissed from his duties, and Jesus now stood not only as the Lamb of God, but also as the high priest that would oversee the sacrifice. Because every year at the time of Passover, the high priest would come out to the altar, and a lamb, a spotless, pure lamb, would be tied down to the altar by each limb, four limbs, and the high priest would come out with his right hand and he would put his hand on the head of the lamb and they would slaughter the lamb. You see, the lamb and the priest were both at the point where the people's sins for that entire year were atoned for by the shedding of blood. It says in Genesis that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. So now Jesus is standing at his trial, and he is the lamb and the priest. Can anyone tell me when he was nailed on a cross, what did it look like? His feet and his hands tied down by way of nails. He stood up on a hill, crucified by being nailed to a cross, and he stood up and he became the sacrifice and the priest that oversaw the sacrifice. Can you guys see the intricacy of God's plan here? This is just a couple of details. This is not a whole amazing like synopsis. This is just a couple of details. I'm not really that smart. So what I want to do right now is I actually want to look at six points of what Jesus achieved for you on the cross. Because until you can see the value of what he did, you'll never partake of it. And it'll be just a great story. It's like, oh yeah, we go to church every Easter. We look at the cross, we thank Jesus, we eat bunny eggs. It's actually got nothing to do with that. Your religion of coming to church is not going to get you extra brownie points with God. Your submission to Jesus will. I want to look at a few things. The Bible says it prophesied in a couple of places, but particularly in Isaiah. It says that by his stripes you are healed. Jesus didn't, this is where a lot of people come unstuck because they are so shallow in their pursuit of what God did, they actually just believe that Jesus only came to save he did more than come to just save you. This is not a legal duty that he fulfilled. You've got to remember the father was looking to get his children back. He was looking to get his children back. And so Jesus, the Bible says that they, they whipped him 39 times. Now, it wasn't just a regular whip. We've talked about this before. And if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, I think that's a good start to what it looked like. I think it looked a lot worse than what they portrayed it. I don't think that they could get away with ratings to show what it really looked like, to be honest. But there's 39 different known diseases in the human body, medically proven. 39 different categories, sorry, of different illnesses and ailments and infirmities and diseases in the human body. You can, you can look at it in the, in the, medical, in the medical world. That's, that's a fact. Jesus took 39 stripes in his body. The Bible says that by his stripes you were healed. They didn't even know there was 39 different times back in that time. This is before that stuff became figured out by the real smart doctors a few thousand years later. <laughs> us smart people that are so advanced it took us a few thousand years to figure this stuff out. But the thing is, is this, is that when Jesus took those stripes, he paid for your full healing. It is not a privilege, it is a right. 
See, this is where sometimes we come a little unstuck. Well, God heals who he wants to. Well, apparently when Jesus was ministering, he healed everybody, except for when they didn't believe. So if you don't believe, we can't help you. But if you want to believe, we can believe God that those stripes are going to heal you. Jesus paid, not, he didn't, he didn't set up an auto payment system and he hasn't defaulted. He hasn't set up some kind of financing thing where the bank still owes your healing and hopefully Jesus can make payments. He paid, finished, owns the title deed for your healing in full. Amen? Look, I know that some people right now are struggling with this because they're like, well, I've seen some people not get healed. Look, you just need to put that out of your head. And you need to believe that Jesus heals. Because if you don't, then there's no hope for you in this realm. You can keep your sickness if you want, but I prefer to go the other route, that Jesus heals. Amen? So Jesus heals. when He achieved things at the cross that we need to take up. And can I just say this? Most Christians, there's six points I'm going to go through now. There's probably a few more, but these are the six that I felt like I wanted to share tonight. But most sons and daughters of God are really good with a few of these, and then other ones they miss out on. They're just like, oh, you know, I just haven't really got into that yet. And I want to encourage you that if there's an area that I read out that you're like, feel weird about or don't feel comfortable with, I, I want to challenge you to press into it tonight because actually there's freedom. And when we're going to take communion in a little bit, I want you to be thinking about these things. Because you see, really what communion is, communion is an amazing thing. Communion was actually Jewish culture that God used as an example to us. It was Jewish culture. There was, it was Israelite culture. This is what the culture looked like. A young man would come with his mother and father to the house of a young woman and meet with her mother and father, so six people, and they would talk about getting married. There would be a proposal that was made, and if there was an agreement that was reached, the young man and the young girl would take a piece of bread and a cup of wine, or, or grape juice, whichever way you want to believe for it, and, and they would have this thing where they would literally do what we know to be communion today. This was, their, this was their culture. I believe it still is. But this was their culture when Jesus came. Check this out. Then the young man would return to his father's property with his parents and build a house on their property so that he could come back and get his bride. Hello, somebody. And take her back to his father's property where she would leave her father and mother and cleave to her husband on their own property. You guys getting this? It's not something magical thing that Jesus dreamed of. He was using our language to get a message to us. Communion is a marriage covenant of intimacy where everything, everything that belongs to God is on offer to us. So why do we live like peasants? Come on, somebody. I'm challenging us right now, myself included. Oh, God wants me to live with this sickness. Well, where in the Bible is that? God wants me to live with no money. Where in the Bible is that? Because if you really, truly understand what Jesus was saying and doing, you're going to start to think and live differently. Come on, let this challenge you. You guys are like, I don't know whether I should believe this or not, but it kind of sounds okay, but I'm not sure. Now, come on, jump in on this thing. Problem is, is that we've been so desensitized in our culture that we don't really get half this stuff. We need to get it. 
Okay, so the second thing. The second thing is acceptance. Sometimes one of the biggest struggles that we can have is that we feel unworthy. We feel rejected. We feel that we're not good enough. And the thing is, is that Jesus had a perfect relationship with the Father. So much so that the Father honored Jesus before he ever promoted himself. Matter of fact, you don't ever see the Father promoting himself in, in his earthly relationship. You only see Jesus promoting the Father and the Father promoting Jesus. It, was a, it is a perfect relationship. That's why Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Does this make sense? Jesus went from that state and on the cross, when he was hanging on the cross, dying for you and I, the Father, for the first time in eternity, not just on earth, in all of eternity, the first time, the Father, when the sin of all of humanity was placed on the being of Jesus, the Father who had been so intimate and in union with Jesus, turned around and rejected his son. That's why Jesus cried out with a loud voice. It was the most distressing statement on the cross. It was the most, the most distressing statement. My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus became rejected so that you could be accepted. Can you see this is just a, a point of exchange? The communion was the invitation. The cross was the execution. Literally and the execution of the promise. Where Jesus actually was doing the work of your redemption and my redemption at the cross. The thing is, is that sometimes we have a mentality that we're insignificant and we're this, that, and the other. But you see, the thing is, is that when you truly are accepted, it humbles you. It changes you and it invites you into godly beauty. And you actually aren't walking around feeling unsure and insecure of yourself anymore. You are confident in who you are. You're not cocky, you're humble. But there is a strong boldness on you. Does that make sense? And I want to invite you to this tonight as we move through these things. Because Jesus paid the price for you to be accepted. Sometimes we know all the right words to say. We've been so well churched. We know a million scriptures. But we walk around and we're not sure if we're even loved and accepted. And that's one of the most dangerous states that any human being can be in. Because people that are, that are rejected and unaccepted will do almost anything to be noticed and accepted. Okay. So Jesus paid for your rejection to be banished. Does that sound good? I think that sounds great. Okay, the third one. Let's just say the atmosphere is getting ready to be upset. The atmosphere is seriously getting ready to be upset right now. The third thing that Jesus came to do is he came to give you prosperity. Ooh. Yeah, Jesus came to give you prosperity. Because in every way that Jesus was stripped, you were empowered. The Bible says that he was made poor so that you might be rich. Now that's monetarily, it's also spiritually, it's in many, many different facets, but I want to focus on a few things. A few things that sometimes people overlook that take pride in their poverty. Jesus had a treasurer. His name was Judas. That looked after all the money. A poor person doesn't need that. Jesus, when he died, you've got to remember that the Romans executed hundreds of people every month. 
they say that history, history records that it wasn't just the random execution of three guys up on the hill. They said that what the Romans would do, because the Romans were master invaders and conquerors, they would break the spirit of the places they went into and, 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 and uh, occupied. They would, anyone that crossed the line on any level of infringement would actually be crucified. It was the, one of the Romans' favorite points, uh, points of execution. They said that the streets, like streets in between cities, were literally paved with lampposts. What we would look at like, oh, there's lampposts going down the streets. There's the power line poles. There was just lampposts down the street full of crucifixions everywhere. You know what happens when you have that? You've got a real strong message that people shouldn't step out of line. You start to break a nation real quick. Jesus was not some notable crucifixion, even though he was notable up on the hill. Jesus was crucified like a common criminal, which we're going to get to in just a bit. But Jesus, when he was crucified, they took his robe off him very carefully. And the reason that they took his robe off him very carefully, it was a seamless garment. It was the most expensive garment you could purchase in that time. It wasn't like, see how this has like seams where they've just got one big piece of fabric and they've like cut it little pieces. And this was made in one piece without any joins. It was made in one piece. It was a very expensive garment. Oh, I don't think God would want me to have that car. I don't think God would want me to have that shirt. I don't think God would want me to go on that vacation. Well, apparently God doesn't have a problem with having nice things. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem just the week before, he rode in on a donkey, not a horse. Now, if you understand that culture, a donkey was a luxury item because a donkey actually, it, it rides much smoother than a horse. Like a horse is like, clop, 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 good old faithful, you know, whereas a donkey kind of glides. It, it's, it's, noticed as, it's, it's noted as a luxury item in that culture, especially in that time. Jesus didn't have a problem with having nice things. The, the difference was that the nice things didn't have Jesus. And that's the problem where people can get mixed up is like, Oh, Jesus wants to prosper me, but really their motivation is just to have things that have them. God wants you to have things that don't have you. And that's sometimes the measure of our, able to receive, our ability to receive is that in the measure that you actually just realize, hey, God's given me an object and I'm just going to be a good steward of it, rather than I'm just going to pile up for myself all this wealth on earth so I can be like a little rich dude up on the hill that's just mean and nasty. No, that's not actually the motivation of God's heart. But I will say this, the curse of poverty that's come against you this is what Jesus died for because he, was, he, he, was, he had nice things and they were stripped from him and they cast lots over what Jesus had down to the last little object. He was sold for money by his friend. And I want to say this, that it, just, it hit me the other week and I told Jeff about it. It blew my mind when Jesus was handing out the cup and the bread, he was offering the same covenant that I've just described to, to the one that sold him the same night. You get this. Jesus was offering him everything of eternity, all the riches and the glory of heaven, the majesty of God. He was offering it to the one that actually sold him for 30 pieces of silver. It's, it's amazing what poverty will do. You know that Samson was sold, sold for 500 pieces of silver? It's trippy. Poverty is a demonic curse, and it is designed to keep you enslaved, and God actually wants to break that loose off your life. He was, being, he was made poor so that you could be made rich. That includes curses getting broken. I'm not just talking about the monopoly man. I'm talking about being blessed, where all your needs are met by his riches and glory. Does that make sense? 
We're not talking about the slippery, greasy, hey, let's get money and be just real horrible about it. I'm talking about God actually taking care of your needs and the devil's enslavement of your finances being broken. Jesus paid for that, and actually you deserve to have that redeemed in your life. Every time Jesus paid for it, it's like he handed you a coupon, unlimited, unlimited value. Just use this credit card as much as you want. I've paid for it, you use it. And the thing is, is that we can be really good at paying, at actually using certain facets, and the areas that we're not, we need to learn how to receive in those areas. Okay? Okay. The next one. The next point I want to touch on is salvation. Your captivity was transferred to him so you can go free. We need to stop thinking and living like slaves because a lot of the time we have the label of sons, but we have the behavior of slaves. And that's actually not what God calls freedom. And actually, I'll go a step further, and that's actually not what Jesus calls salvation. A lot of people have the culture of church. They go to church, they turn up every week, or they do their thing, but they actually think and act completely different than a son. And sometimes we actually need to reassess, actually, am I saved or not? I'm talking to church right now. Is this okay? Because sometimes we actually need to just step back and say, hang on a minute. This Christianity thing that I label myself with, have I really got this thing? Or am I just got it by the, by the title? Because there's a lot of people, it's like, man, I just like, you know, this, that, and the other. And then you look at their lives and like, dang, dude, come on. All you need to do is cross the line. You know how you cross the line? You have a radical encounter with the love of God. When you've been with me and Jeff, were talking again this morning. When you've been encountered by the love of God, you are recognized because once you've been encountered by the love of God, you can't go back. It's like anything else, and you, you know that you're living like a devil, and you just, you're going to be going crazy by just the tearing in your soul. Knowing that Jesus is there, but wanting to live like this. See, when you get encountered by the goodness and the salvation of God, it actually has a very impacting, lasting thing that never goes away. I remember when I was young and I backslid, I, I had every opportunity under the sun, every kind of drug you could imagine. I had so much stuff put in front of me. Girls, parties, you name, like everything that the world tells you that you're supposed to do to be happy. I had all of it in front of me, and I'm standing there. I've grown up in church. It wasn't like full of the Holy Ghost, but I've grown up in church. I have the fear of God on me, and I just can't do this stuff because God had me, man. I'm trying to run, but I've been impacted by God. See, salvation looks like something. It looks like change. And if you go to church, but you haven't got change, it's time for you to encounter the real salvation of God. Come on, it's good to actually ask ourselves these questions once in a while, because that's why the Bible says many are going to say on that, Lord, 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 we went to church every Sunday. Lord, Lord, we sung the songs, we worshiped you, we even lifted our hands and we did stuff, God. We went out with the teams, we went on missions trips, we went, we went down to Tijuana and, you know, fed the little kids. He's like, well, I never knew you. I saw all the stuff you did, but I didn't know you. Salvation looks like something. It doesn't look like you turning up to church and then during the week you're out partying, hitting the bars and like chasing guys or chasing girls and doing all this crazy stuff and trying to live just like the world. That doesn't look like salvation. That looks like lukewarm. That looks like you're confused. That doesn't look like you've encountered Jesus. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching truth right now. Because honestly, we, we might as well just have a good sifting because we're either going to be hot or cold. If we're going to play lukewarm, we might as well just close this thing and go home. I know that's not what our hearts are. I know we're going after it, but let's just declare it into the atmosphere. It's good to, look, honestly, 
I don't care if you've walked with God for 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Just stop and investigate. Is there an area in my heart? David was the guy that was after God's heart. God even said, this is a man after my own heart. And he was the one that stopped. And he's like, God, let's just have a reality check right now. Is there any area in my life that's not right? (laughs) Is there any area in my life that hasn't been impacted by your salvation that's still living unredeemed? Come on, this this is good truth. Well, if I just look like the world and I go out partying and I do this stuff or... But who are you kidding? Once you've been impacted by God and his presence and his salvation, his love has touched you, you can't in good conscience do that stuff. And if you can, then I totally 100% question your salvation. Just throw it out there. Okay. Anyway, so salvation actually has caused you to actually look and talk and breathe and act like a son or daughter. And it's, it, it might not be that you're perfect because none of us are perfect, But what it will look like is it will look like you being drawn towards change. Because I found this one that loves me and gave all for me, I'm compelled to in return give all to him. I might not be empowered to do it right now. I might might have moments of weakness. I might have days of failure. But you know what? I just want to give to you, Jesus, in the areas that I can't. Please come and help me. Please come and wash me. I want to be more like you. Thank you, God. Number five. Now, this is the part that I like. Well, I like all of it, but I I really like this one. The Bible says that when Jesus breathed out his spirit, it says that he descended into the earth. And it says that that foot that God prophesied, his father prophesied, crushed the enemy's head. Now, he didn't just hit him like this. It was like that. And he just stayed on him for a while, and he reached down to Satan's belt. And he took the jailer's keys and he snatched them off. He said, these belong to me. That's what he said. He said that he led, he he took the keys of, of sin and death. That's the stuff that owned us. That's the stuff that Adam and Eve gave away. Not even with the fight. They just gave it. Here you go, devil. You can have us. He took them back and said, these belong to me. And then it says that he went down and then he led captivity captive. What that means is that he literally took bondage and slavery that the devil owned and he now owns that. So that whosoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus paid for your freedom. But more than that, do you remember now at the end of Matthew, he said, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me by the Father. Remember, God gave it to Adam. Adam gave it to the devil. Jesus snatched it back. And then he said, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. You remember? What happened? Full circle happened, right? God at the cross offers you the dominion, the authority that Adam gave away. Come on. This is awesome. So what that means is you can step out of being a victim and you can start stepping into being a king. That's why he calls us kings and priests. That means that it's time for you to step out of this whole like, oh, hopefully it all works out and start taking authority. Start taking dominion. That's when you step in front of someone that's sick. You can take that dominion that Jesus paid for at the cross and bring it to someone that needs it. With authority, not begging. See, a son looks like something. Because that cross changed everything. That cross caused you to have rights. 
Now, the blood that Jesus shed is the blood that saved and redeemed you, correct? Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. His blood washed away your sins. That means that now when God looks at you, he can't find wrong. If you've truly given your life to Jesus and you've asked him to forgive you and you're walking right with God and not halfway in the world and halfway in the kingdom. God just wants you to be honest about what you really want to do. If you want to live like a devil, he'd prefer you to live like a devil than pretend you're a Christian. Does this make sense? God would actually prefer it. That's pretty trippy. (laughs) But I'm going to beg you to, to live like a son. Because that blood washed away your sin. And now when the Father looks at you, he literally sees Jesus. He literally sees. That's why the Bible says that you have been made the righteousness of God. He didn't say, okay, now you're better. He didn't say, now you're like Adam. He's like, no, now I need to take it a step further. Now I'm going to make you righteous like I'm righteous. But further to that, because of the cross, because of the invitation into partnership and communion, I have now made you my bloodline. So then Jesus is your brother and God is your father. He's not an angry judge. Come on, somebody. I'm just going to preach this for the rest of my life until we believe it. Because when you start to understand that God doesn't deal with you as one of his loyal subjects, he deals with you as one of his children, his actual real children. That's why the Bible says that Jesus was the firstborn of many brothers. He was the firstborn of many brothers, guys. Do you get this? That means that you are not some angel that was created by God for his entertainment. You have been made a child, a literal child of God, blood grafted. Grafted in by the blood. So when you step out into the street and you say, hey, devil, get off that situation, the devil actually doesn't hear your voice anymore. He hears God's. This is the authority we're talking about here. Okay. So dominion, God God gave you dominion back if you just live this stuff. If you've got one foot in the world, you can't have dominion. Okay, let me give you a point in case. Has anyone had a bad week where you've slipped up and you've done something that you shouldn't have and you've got it right with God, but you still felt guilty? Me, everyone, basically. That's pretty much, look, just be honest, it's all of us. And did you ever in that same week have a situation present itself where you knew that you should have been walking in the Spirit? And you just had this like, I don't have any authority because my sin gave it away to the devil. Here's the awesome part. When we have those moments, if we sin, there is one that is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we just confess it. That's how, that's how awesome this is now. Now, no, now Jesus doesn't have to go to the cross again. Now you just have to confess it and actually really mean it and ask God to forgive you and cleanse you and wash you and put you back on track. And in that moment, you can step out of that, and you can step into righteousness again. And you can step into authority. Okay? Can I say this? Don't wait two hours, two days, two weeks, two months, two years to go to God and get something right. Just walk straight to Him. It's better to walk with the the muck on your hands, the, the blood on your hands, so to speak, and just say, God, I just totally messed up right now, and here, I just need to come straight into your courtroom and mess. I'm sorry. Is that Okay? Because otherwise what's happening is that the longer you leave that, the longer the devil has to build his case that you're totally rejected and you've just everything else that Jesus didn't die for. If we sin, he is faithful and just. If we just confess. 
Okay, the last thing that I want to add is shame. Jesus died for your shame. Jesus probably had a lot of regal. He carried himself as king. He had a lot of dignity. But on the day that he was crucified, they didn't just strip him down to his Calvin Klein briefs. They stripped him naked. So not only was he mauled, his body was whipped, he was beaten, he was punched, he had thorns, his head was swollen up. He shouldn't have actually even survived the whipping. That's, that's, that's the medical analysis of, of the scourging. Most people didn't survive the Roman 39 stripes. Most people. So not only that, he had to carry a cross up a hill, which he couldn't do, and then there's a guy called Simeon that the Romans actually made carry. He got up the top physically, emotionally, traumatized because he had all of hell pressing in on him. He was spiritually being traumatized. Then they drive nine-inch nails through his hands. And then they mock him. And as they get ready to lift the cross up, they rip all of his clothes off and they hang him up like an animal in front of the world and say, ha, 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 here's the king of the Jews. And then Caiaphas and all his homies get up the top of the hill and they're like, well, if you really are God, you need to just get yourself down off the cross. And then the, thief, the other thief on the cross starts saying the same thing. Just get this for a second, because in a second, Jesus literally could have summoned all the warrior angels out of heaven and decimated the world. I don't need to do this. Just blow them all out. Jesus had the power and the authority to do that, and yet he submitted himself. That's why he said, you guys don't take my life. I'm giving it. You can't kill me. I'm going to let this happen. Because in one second, Jesus could, that's why he said, I can call 12 legions of angels right now, and you guys are all going to be nuclear bombed. This is just going to be wasteland in a second. He said, you don't, you don't do this. This is a decision. Because in Gethsemane, I knew this was coming, but in Gethsemane, I finally died. That's what really happened in Gethsemane. The humanity died, and the sun stood up. You get this. That's why, like, the, 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 the striving in that moment where he had to submit. See, we are so entitled. If you just look, go study Gethsemane for two weeks. Just go study Gethsemane. And you see the submission, and then most people's attitudes is like, well, I don't want to come to Tuesday night. Or, I don't want to do this. I don't, well, okay. I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to come after you, Jesus. I don't really care what anyone else does or doesn't want to do. Jesus literally gave everything. He was telling the Father that he didn't want to go to the cross. That's what he did. And he's like, nevertheless, not what I want. Now I'm going to come into full 100% submission, and it's now. I am going to the death. I will obey. He crossed the line. And then Judas comes with all the temple guard, and they're like, Jesus, I heard someone say this once, that Jesus was so plain he didn't look anything special. He just looked like one of the guys. They had to check if it was Jesus. Is that you? Which one's Jesus? And then Judas walks out and kisses him. And they're like, are you Jesus? They're still checking. And he's like, I am he. Everyone slayed under the spirit. You can see it. In the, you can read it in the scriptures. The Bible says they all fell down as dead men. How do you get up from that kind of altar call and take someone to prison? That's blowing, dude. But Jesus submitted himself, and that's where the power was, where he gave of himself freely for you and I. 
And then from that place, every step was a step to the cross. That's why it says way back at that point, he set his face like a flint to Jerusalem to do the will of the Father. What was the Father? What was the Father's will? Calvary. So Jesus has paid the price for not just your salvation because it's the right thing to do, but he wants you to be back as the Father's child, as his sibling. That's the level of intimacy that we're invited to. But for that, now that you are a royal, godly heir, because that's what the Bible calls you, it's actually time to look like it. So we need to banish sickness. We need to banish rejection. We need to banish shame. We need to banish poverty. Come on, somebody. We need to banish all this stuff, this insecurity stuff. We need to banish this stuff. Sickness needs to go. And we actually need to partake. That's why we're going to do this this communion in just a second. And tonight, we are going to accept the invitation of not just what Jesus did again afresh, because Jesus told us to do it every time we met. But we're going to accept the things that we've just gone through tonight. Might be areas where you've struggled. Look, honestly, you might have grown up in a church where they taught against some of the stuff I've talked about tonight. Just search your heart and see what Jesus did. It's very clear in the scriptures. And just say, God, I actually need that area because everything I don't believe, like for instance, let's just say you don't believe that people should get healed. Well, let me just say this. It feels a lot better being healed than being sick. That sounds like something that God would want to do. And maybe it's time that you just start believing that God wants to heal you. Maybe it's time that you just start believing that God wants to provide for the areas that you've been living in poverty. Maybe it's time that you believe that God actually wants to heal your heart and and set you free from rejection. Amen? See, all these things that I'm talking about, Jesus already took them on his being and he died with them. He paid the price. But now it's actually our turn to give those things to Jesus in order for him to free them from us. It wasn't just that he did it and now it's available. Because if that was true, there would be no need for us to actually live and act as sons and daughters of God. Jesus would have just saved the world and everyone would have been fine. He's actually inviting us. That's why it says that for God so loved the world that he gave the best he had, his only begotten son, so that whosoever. That's not so that everybody. So that whosoever would believe. So here's the thing. We worship you tonight, Jesus, for what you did, but it's time to believe you in the areas that you died for. In the areas that you paid for our freedom, it's actually time to cross over. It's time to start looking like sons and daughters. It's time to get the dominion back in every area of our life. It's time to get healing back. It's time to get, uh, it might be, you get rid of poverty and get areas in your life prospered. It, it's time to get shame out of my life. It's time to get rejection out of my life. Come on, somebody. In Jesus' name. So, Father, tonight we just thank you for your grace and your mercy that your great love sought to not just do the duty, but to gain back your children. And that was us in a broken state. And tonight, Jesus, we worship you. We worship you and we thank you for what you did for us. I ask God right now in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, that you would go to work in this room right now, and that you would touch every single heart in the areas 
that we are lacking, in the areas that feel broken, in the areas that feel undone, in the areas that feel like there's no freedom in the things we've been talking about. And that, Holy Spirit, you would help us to let go of those things and invite your covenant into those areas of our lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And that as we do, your great mercy and grace would come flooding in and that your provision would come. That we would get dominion. That we would walk in it. We'd believe it. That you'd renew our minds. That you'd cause us to walk in, in the blessing and, and, and to, be, to be provided for and not living in lack and unbelief and poverty. In Jesus' name, that you'd cause healings to start flowing through our bodies, that you'd cause rejection to be banished and acceptance to take residence, that you'd cause shame to be lifted off our being. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, and that you would cause dignity to robe us and, and to, 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 to cover us. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that you'd cause dominion to come back in the areas that we'd given it up or that we've never taken it back. In Jesus' mighty name. Now the Bible says this, and it's really important, that when we take communion, that we should examine our lives, we should examine our hearts, and that we should get anything right with the Lord that's not right. Because if not, problems can come into our lives. That's, that's a nice way of saying it. So we're not to do this stuff just like as a little ritual or something lightly. We're actually to go, God, is there anything in my heart that I need to put right with you? Is there an area that I've been backslidden? Is there an area that I haven't been living right? Is there an area that I've been willfully sinning? Is there an area of my life that I've just totally neglected you, God? And if that's the case, look, God is so gracious and merciful, we just need to put it right. We just need to ask God to forgive us and wash us and cleanse us and, and completely, and we just get made brand new again. And then from that place, we're just going to do this. Let's just examine our hearts right now. Any area, God, any area. Might be little things. It might be, oh, I, you know, God, I'm sorry. You know, I let that word slip out of my mouth. Or God, I'm sorry I, this thing happened. Or God, I'm sorry, you know, I've just been doing this like my old ways. This one area has crept back into my life. Or God, I'm sorry for not believing for you and uh, believing you and living under this, this mindset. Whatever area that God's convicting you right now, just put it right. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Father, we thank you. And I, honestly, guys, as we do this, we are going to see miracles happen. People are going to get healed, whether it's instantaneously or over this little coming season. Sometimes it's just a simple issue of just, hey, I just need to humble myself. I need to walk in humility. I need to stop being so proud. God, I humble myself before you. I just realized that I've just been really, you know, too big for my own shoes. And I just need to sit and just sit at your feet and let your love minister to me. In Jesus' name. Jesus, when he did this, he was trying to tell a story. He was inviting people to covenant with the God of heaven and invite them to become one with him. And that when he came back, he would take them Take us to heaven. That's what he was really saying. That's the parallel of the story I told earlier. So tonight, Jesus, we just, we remember you. We remember the amazing, great sacrifice that we really can't even quantify. 
We can't even measure it. We, we, we can explain the story, but we don't really know the weight that was put on you. We don't really know the true sacrifice. We don't really know what it was like when you went down into the depths of hell and had to fight the devil. We don't know what it was like when every sin that has ever been committed by every single person that has ever lived got put on you in one moment. We, we, we can't even imagine that, God. But tonight we worship you and we honor you. We remember you, God, and we come before you to reinstate our covenant that we have with you. Jesus, you said that we should take this bread and remember you and that it was, it was your body broken for us, that you willingly gave your body to break, to, to be broken so that we could be redeemed, so that our brokenness could be made whole. So right now, Jesus, we take this bread and we remember you and we accept the covenant Everything you are for everything we are. I just want to remind you that sometimes we can be so fixated on everything that God is that we're going to get that we forget that actually God's looking for everything we are. That means that you're giving up your ability to be in control. And even though God wants you to still keep your sovereignty, he actually wants you to give him everything. That means your will surrendered. That means your plans surrendered. That means all of the things that you think that you're in control of yielded to him, which actually is going to get you in a better place anyways. It's, it's going to cause heaven to flow through your, through your hands. But while you hold on to those things, you're actually not entering into the total covenant. You're saying part of this area, God, for everything you are, but actually he, the Bible says he's a jealous God and he wants everything. He wants every area, every facet, every dream. He wants all of it. Jesus, you said that we should take this, this wine, this, this drink, in remembrance of the blood that you shed willingly for us, that our sins would be forgiven. That the, the, the scriptures told us that I mentioned tonight, Jesus, that without the shedding of blood of an innocent there can be no forgiveness of the guilty. So Jesus, we worship you tonight. We thank you that you, the innocent, suffered for us, the guilty, so that we could go blameless. And tonight we enter into that covenant and we give to you willingly of everything that we are. You can have our whole lives. You can have our future. You can have our destiny. You can have our finances. You can have our husbands, our future wives, God, whatever that looks like. Those of us that aren't married, God, you can have the areas in our lives that are broken. You can have the, the things that, that, that we have really set our hearts on, God. But whatever it looks like, God, we just give you everything of ourselves right now in exchange for all of your goodness. So we just take this drink right now and we remember you. I thank you that healing is flowing right now. I thank you that rejection is being banished right now. That people are, are, are noticing tangible changes and acceptance of the Father is beginning to just wash over people right now. I thank you that the curse of poverty is breaking right now. In Jesus' name, that your heavenly provision prosperity is starting to connect with people in ways that maybe we haven't had before. I thank you, Jesus, that dominion is coming right now. I thank you, Jesus, that shame is leaving right now and dignity is coming. In Jesus' name, that insecurity is leaving and security is coming right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. 
I thank you, Father, for everything that we've brought before you that you've forgiven every single sin of tonight and that the devil can never bring it up again. In Jesus' name, we worship you, Jesus, and we thank you for what you've done again tonight. We bless your name. And we just thank you that tonight's been an opportunity where we've been able to yield ourselves afresh to you. We bless you. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that now you have permission to go to work on each one of us in a whole other way. That you'd just encourage us to remember the things we've heard tonight. And that you'd push us towards these freedoms. And you'd push us towards these heavenly supplies. You'd push us towards these mindsets and living in dominion. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's been an honor to be with you guys this Easter Sunday. Don't forget, we're going to be here on Tuesday night. And we're going to be going after what Jesus died for, and that's souls. That's the whole reason Jesus came, is he came to redeem the lost. So we love you guys. If anyone needs any special prayer, we're going to be up the front here for just a little bit. And thank you for coming out on an Easter Sunday. I know you could have been anywhere, but we, we really appreciate you, and we want to get to know you. If, if you're new here, don't, don't feel like you need to leave. We want to talk to you and get to know you, but be blessed. Have a wonderful night and have a great week. We'll see you soon.